0: good morning it's michael weaver and jonathan washburn from indianapolis and cleveland ohio how are you today john I'm doing great. The uh, Cleveland
1: Indians have officially changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians, and it's all anybody's talking about here today, so I'm having a wonderful day.
0: That's awesome. Well, I know you're uh, big into sports. I heard something about uh, the Browns too, right? I heard uh, some news with the Browns? Yeah, that's right. As of uh, yesterday morning, uh, Cross Country
1: Mortgage is now the official mortgage lender partner of the Cleveland Browns. And our name is gonna be on their practice facility over in Berea. And this is just massive news. Our, our owner uh, was born in Cleveland, grew up in Cleveland. It's kind of always been his dream to be a Cleveland Browns sponsor. And he has finally accomplished that. So we are all excited. I got a cool sign up at my office. They sent us all Browns hats over the weekend. So it was, uh, it
0: was a great thing. That's awesome. Congratulations, John. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, it's exciting times for sure. So you think you'll be going to any games?
1: So I actually, I already have season tickets uh, for for this year. Yeah, so they are not very good. They're like five rows from the top, and I'm probably not going to go to every game. I'll probably go to four or five. Um, You know, they got some fun night games,
0: like a Thursday night game I'm going to go to and such. But
1: yeah, super excited for the Browns. I really do think it's finally our year this year.
0: Well, that would be exciting and it uh, would be pretty cool if it was the first year you guys supported. That would be something you could totally use in your marketing.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, the, the cross country came on board and the Browns won a Super Bowl.
0: That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, so today's show is pretty exciting. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, e-buyers. So uh, what do you see uh, from the e-buyer market, John? And and maybe explain a little bit uh, what an e-buyer is.
1: Yeah, so so e buying is becoming um obviously it's becoming far more common. Um, you know, I have some thoughts. Obviously you're you're probably gonna expand upon these a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's 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 becoming so much more common and there's there's kinda like lots of different types of e buyers and pockets of e buyers, right? Um you know one thing that I have seen a lot myself is um so COVID happened, right? right. Um COVID happened and Everyone went to the work from home lifestyle and a lot of businesses realized not all of them, but a lot of businesses realized. Oh, wait a minute. Our client or our, our employees are getting just as much work done at home as they did at the office. Why do we need to spend $40,000 a month leasing this office? You know, one floor of an office building in New York city when, um, our guys, you know, our employees are, are are getting just as much work done as possible. Right. So what, what they're going to do is I've seen a lot of people, you know, especially businesses in bigger cities like New York and Chicago, bigger expensive cities, they're telling their, their, their employees, Hey, you know, you don't have to live here anymore. We're not even going to have this office, you know, mm-hmm. live kind of wherever you want. You're going to work from home. So I've actually worked with three people in the last nine months, that are all moving to Cleveland, you know, back to Cleveland where they grew up from New York. Cause that's mm-hmm. where they've been working. Right. And, um, and it's one of the things they're, they're familiar with the area. They grew up in the area, but the market is nuts, right. The market yeah. is crazy. So they're not necessarily able to, you know, come back home and look at a house and think long and hard about whether they want to make an offer on it, you know, a lot of times you're like, man, I, I'm just going to stay here in New York, and I'm going to look at pictures on a, you know, on Zillow, and if that house looks good, I'm just going to make an offer online without having ever seen the house. Right. Um, and like I said, I've actually worked with three people uh, in the last nine months that have done this and have bought houses here without having ever seen them before, like the final walkthrough before, you know, before closing. Um. So they're doing the majority of this process online you know, yeah. they're, they're, they're going online, they're going on Zillow, they're going on realtor.com, they're, they're doing whatever. Um, they may be working with a realtor, they may not be working with a realtor. Um, obviously, they have to work with a lender unless they're paying cash. But they don't feel the need to, you know, necessarily work with somebody that they know, or they can shake hands with, they're just doing everything from start to finish on their computer. And obviously, there's a lot of benefits of this in 2021, but obviously, as you can, as, as I'm sure you can guess, there are a lot of things that we probably want to be cautious about, and so that's that's kind of one side of the e buyer market that I've been working with a lot. What are what are some e buyer um, scenarios that you've kind of interacted with and encountered?
0: Right, so yeah, I was uh interested, there's there's quite a few. Places that are offering it right now, like Zillow, Open Door, OfferPad—they're like some of the uh, top e-buyers, if you will. Um, but but there's you know some data out there that shows people are feeling like the process is very stressful. Um, you know the um, there's a question. It's like uh, I get this data from. Um, let's see here, thousand watts says it's a blog that I subscribe to, and it says uh, was selling your home stressful and. Thirty six percent says yes, stressful. Thirty four percent says yes, very stressful. So, uh, I mean, that that is uh, pretty big information to to take in. You know, if if it's selling your home is, is very stressful, and you've got thirty offers to look at, I mean, it's kind of like, what more do people want? You know, I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, in in my history that's that's awesome problem to have if you will um you know another thing is you know what was the biggest reason you found selling your home was stressful okay so 43 percent says having strangers in my home for showings and open houses okay uh that was the biggest reason uh it took too long that was 27 so still almost 30 percent of people are saying it took too long and then um having to move out during the process was a quarter of percent 24.42 and then other was just 4.68 so in my opinion that's uh, that's pretty uh, incredible the the data on that because again just having people in your home or strangers in your home it that's been like a normal thing for so right. long But this data is pretty recent and I feel like COVID had a little bit to do with, you know, if you were selling your home and and you were afraid of what someone else was going to bring in your castle, if you will, uh, maybe that is maybe that's why that caused that. But uh, it took too long. I mean, we're still we're still seeing uh, a huge percentage um, that say that it took too long and, and, you know, over here, I'm sure there, and I'm sure across nationwide, you know, the average days on market has got to be less than 30 days. Um, right. So, so that's, that's nothing. I mean, I I remember when, you know, we'd be on the market for, uh, you know, easy, easy two weeks, just as a, as a standard. Uh, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a problem to be on 90 days. You know, that would just be like, yes, that's, you need a price reduction and, and move on. So I think that's interesting. Um, because this article is about the the e the buyer, um, you know, in general, and, and what kind of should we see in, in, in the future. Um, so to be is- clear,
1: when when you're talking, so when this article is talking about an e buyer, they're actually talking about something quite different from from what I described. This is where um, someone wants to sell a house, and they are they don't want to, you know officially put it on the market, work with a realtor, do any of that. Instead, Zillow or, you know, another large corporation that does this says, Hey, we'll give you this much money for your house right now. You never have to negotiate anything. You never have to do anything like that. We're just, it's almost like we'll pay you cash for this house right now to take all of that um, panic and frustration and, and time off of your hands. That's, that's more what you're talking about, right?
0: Yeah. So, so this article is, is giving it from a seller's perspective. And so, sure. um, yeah, this is, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head. You know, this is a, um, if you're, if you're looking to, to sell your home, there are these people out there that will never see your home. And whether it's Zillow, Open Door, uh, or right. John Doe, you know, either way, it's, they're still just going over, over statistics, um, to, to show just how big this, e-buyer you know scale could be um and then showing the data that says that uh sellers are are scared uh that's kind of what they're going to capitalize on i think in the future is like oh well this is this is why you should do that you know one of the things we um we got a years back was that matterport 3d camera we were the first company in indiana to have that because i i knew Mm. that there would be um a Different shift in the market and and the way that that camera system worked was different than anything else on the market where you could actually walk through the home It didn't distort it um, If you had the Google goggles um, You know you could you could put those on and it would literally feel like you're walking around in, in their house They just had an awesome platform right. and right. I think that just kind of is going to um, This this online only buying and I don't think that it's slowing down. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't, uh, we don't use the, the Matterport on, on every listing like we used to um, simply because there's so many people that are on foot buying right now. It, mm. it takes hours to do that, to do those scans. And um, right. we don't really need to do that marketing because, the, honestly, you you have enough people here locally that are going to see it and, and write. But um, as time progresses and, and the local buyers slow down, I, I feel like the e-buyer the online is definitely going to be more, um, necessary.
1: Yeah. And so let's, let's kind of talk through that. So from what I understand, um, the benefit of it is obviously, um, you know, Hey, no negotiation. Very, very simple. No time. You basically just, here's a price that we will offer you for your house, take it or leave it sort of thing. Yes. But, you know, in order for this to work on the other side, I have to imagine that they're probably not giving you full value for the house, are they?
0: So that's interesting. Um, some people are. Um, I've heard stories. I've got a uh, a client that um, their assistant went to work for BlackRock, and they're actually hmm. doing one and a one point five you know point on on a house. So if it was about hundred thousand, they'd offer you one fifty. Um, is is the what we're hearing. And I know, I know she's accurate because I worked with her with a, uh, a different hedge fund from New York and we were doing the same thing. I mean, we would write 300 purchase agreements a night. We would buy 10 homes a week. Um, it, it was something that uh, I, I know she's absolutely being accurate. And, and so there are some buyers out there that are going to pay you top dollar. Um I wow. worked with one last year uh, and we were Um, usually how it goes, by the way, is they write an offer and they give you this addendum that goes with the offer. And it's very, you know, detailed, but they say our offer is contingent upon our inspection. And depending on the company, Hmm. the inspection might come back with nothing uh, or $20,000 worth of stuff. And they just know, Hey, you know, this is what we're going to have to do to rent it. So we're fine moving forward, but you're, you're going to need to pay, you know, 20% off of what we, or 20,000 off of what we had what agreed to. Um, and, you know, you're all excited and, and hey, I got to cash off and we're going to close in 15 days. And then you get hit with that, you know, so that can be a, um, a right, negative. But right. I don't think that it's always a, a lower number, uh, John, and, and from what I've experienced, it's, it's – you know, maybe five percent uh, max lower than than what someone is is listed for. Um, sure. But not what it used to be. You know, used to you you could absolutely take that to the bank that statement because, um, I mean, even now, currently working with with uh, this one house, it's a it's an investment property, and you know we've we've gotten about forty percent off of list price because of all of these flippers that want to get it at a good price, um, and you know we'll buy your home or buy ugly homes or whatever you know the the big ones were they were they were significantly less, but as a general statement to say that you have to just throw away all offers that are, that are just online or, or sight unseen. I wouldn't say that anymore. Gotcha. So, so it is possible that someone is going to buy your house,
1: you know, very quickly, very simply. Um, and they're going to give you full value for it. Here's where the, I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, okay, so what's the catch? And I want to ask what's the catch. And I also want to ask, is there a catch? And if there's not a catch, how do I sign up for this? Right. You know, right. maybe I want to sell my house and maybe I want to get a new buyer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, again, it, it's going to completely depend on on the uh, offer. Right. And and you have to you have to know that some some of these places, I mean, that they are going to have lower risks. It's just like um, I mean, we're going through the process right now We're we're looking to. Um, we're looking to build a home, and we're we're tossing around the idea of if we're going to sell first and and get a rental, or if we're going to just keep our house and 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 uh, you know move forward and and build and then sell later. Um, you you could talk to a bunch of different banks, and different banks have different um, appetites for how much they want to be leveraged. And um, I talked to quite a few, and they um, honestly were were. We're wanting to do something that would be a big risk uh, in in some people's mind um, or some some you know places mind, but in in others and and it's it's going to be a good risk. And, and actually, one bank I talked to that's a local big bank, they they were like, "Oh yeah, absolutely, we'll take that deal." And it kind of made me feel good because it's like I don't think it's that big of a risk. Um, and so that's that's what you're going to find out with these uh, with these things. You might have to sign up with two or three or four buyers to maybe find the one who gives you what you're wanting and I would say the catch is exactly what I said if your house um, I would say they go by by square footage and and what Mm -hmm. they can rent it by so if your house is is in good shape and they don't need to do anything like paint or carpet um, you know you would probably be be good to go I I, we did one deal was my cousins a few years back and we got an offer from one of these big companies But they came back with, because she was on a pond, they wanted her to install a fence. And we just thought that was the most ridiculous thing, because that shouldn't be an inspection item, right? Because just because there's no fence and it's on a pond, you should have done your due diligence and saw that. Um, And a normal buyer would not have required that. Later, I did a deal with another uh, hedge fund type buyer. House was on a pond. I told him, hey, you know, be prepared because this happened it was It was pretty smooth. they still came back with twelve thousand dollars of repairs and and we still i think we got off a couple thousand dollars of that so Um, you know, negotiated back and forth, but they, you know, they still got really close to what they were wanting. And in this market, they were super happy because they they got way more than what they paid and, and they were, they were very happy. So I would say that, you know, there's still gotta be meat on the bone, right? Like there's still, you're, you're probably not going to have a company, an e-buyer come in and give you 40% over listing. Like you might get Uh, an actual individual, right? Because they have to have this house and they can cash out their 401 or they've got cash from their sale. The e-buyer is not going to do that. But if you want a fair price for your home, I think there's plenty of people out there that would give you a fair price.
1: So generally, are e-buyers, are they investors that are looking to buy your house and keep it long-term and rent it? Or are they looking for, you know, good deals that they think they can maybe put a little bit of money in and flip later on for more.
0: I gotta be honest I don't know what the end game is for everyone um, okay. certainly I would think Zillow has more of an interest of, of turning it and being their own brokerage and having a house sure. and, and that that's kind of my, my thought um, people like BlackRock, um, America Homes for Rent, Main Street Renewal um, some of those, th- those ones they obviously are, are to keep it and rent it um, and I think there's something to be said for some of those big companies having all of these properties. Um, I mean, hundreds of thousands of rentals and and sort of gobbling up the market. I think we talked about that, um, you know, right. before. And um, I actually don't know that I was on the same page of of your understanding of that. And I certainly... Um, recently know exactly what you might have been referring to on some of those things. I mean, those those places um, have so many homes. And and like, for instance, BlackRock, right? If they come in and they do offer <laughs> 1.5 points on a house, you, you can't compete with that. Uh, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, they're not going to do that. They're not going to risk at a top, top market going 50% over uh, what they're asking. Um, right. So well, it's, it,
1: yeah, speaking to that, you know, it, it's one of those things, how you feel about that is going to depend on like what your philosophical views on other things are, right? right? Like, do you believe, do you believe that, you know, everyone deserves to be able to buy a house? If no. you think the answer is yes, then you probably hate organizations like BlackRock. Right. If you think the answer is no, because, you know, owning a house is, is a luxury and obviously it's something that helps you build wealth. Right. And you know, it's something that should be difficult and then, then the black rocks of the world are not going to scare you. Yeah. I remember when we were, when we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago, I, I really wasn't trying to take a side on that philosophical point as right. much as, as I was just saying, Hey, this is what is happening. And the actual result, you know, the real world result is yeah, it's harder for some people to buy a house now, you know? Yeah. So, whether, you know, whichever side you like, you are on that, on that sort of thing, you know, this is just the evidence that, you know, that I have. So let me ask yeah. you this. Um, so if, if you're thinking about selling your house, mm-hmm. um, do you think it's a good idea to reach out to e-buyers and is it important to have a realtor to help you with that process?
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's definitely an awesome question. Um, so I definitely think you need to have a realtor. Uh, to give you advice locally, because they're going to be your advocate. They're going to be the ones that that can say, "Hey, here's the market data for your house." You know, I know what you see on Zillow. I know what you see on you know the the one or two sites that you are familiar with, and you can see. But realtors have access to um, multiple multiple sites, multiple data platforms, um, and hopefully they've got a good managing broker that you know they can bounce ideas off of, and they just kind of know know the actual local market. That if they were going to list a home. They know, hey, it's going to take three weeks to sell your home because you're, you know, so unique or, or whatever. I definitely think it's it's a good thing to have a realtor. And even if it costs you, if you have to pay out of your pocket, you know, a few thousand dollars to get that advice, you're mm-hmm. going to do that for an attorney. If you have them do you know any work for you, I, I think that that's only fair. Um, and then as far as reaching out to, to the e-buyers, I definitely think it's worth your time if you're if you're looking to, to do that. I don't think that we're in a position right now where that's something that is, something you should do first, foremost. Um, sure, unless sure. you're just, you just don't want the the people coming in and, and out of your home. I, I just feel like we're in such a good market currently where, where we're at, where we're located. You don't need to do that extra step um, because I don't think that they're going to save you anything that putting it on a, on a, a market and doing it something standard uh, or traditional is it going to do for you as well.
1: I, I, this is really good stuff today. Uh, Cause I, I love what you're saying because what, what you're saying is that not every sale, not every listing is one size fits all, right? right. I, you, you just mentioned a little earlier, Hey, in the past, you've had this awesome 3d camera that will help you sell the home and you spent money. And I'm sure, you know, you can, you can charge your client a little extra to, to use this camera and spend all this time making this available. And you're like, hey, you know what? Right now, we really don't need to do that, right? right. You know, obviously, you have pictures. Obviously, you're, you're gonna you're gonna do some things, but that's not necessary right now. So, yeah. what you're kind of presenting right now is, hey, here's an option. Here's another tool to have, you know, in your toolbox. Um, so, like when you're thinking about maybe selling a house down the line, this is something to consider. Um, but it's not the only thing to do. It's one of many options. You know, I, I play a lot of golf. So this is a nine iron. You have to have a nine iron to play a complete round, but you don't Mm -hmm. use it all the
0: time. Right.
1: So that's, that's kind of what this, what this sort of thing is. Correct.
0: Oh yeah. And I mean, that just brings my mind to something too. There was uh, another fluctuating thing. Um, and that's, that's commissions, right? Like, um, there was a time that uh, I listed at a, at a certain percentage and, and that was, you know, that's where it went. And then uh, as time went right. along, you know, the, it, it got a little harder for people. Well, you can, you can work with your, your commissions to help people out. There's people that are in this market and they look at it like, well, it's, it's a really easy market. All you got to do is put a sign in the yard and it's going to sell and it's really easy. Okay, so they charge significantly less. And and then that floods the market with with these brokers that don't know what they're doing, mm. and they they right. charge really really low fees. Okay, but but the flip side of that is now they have to sell two and three times what someone else does just at a regular basis um, because they have they've done it for so cheap they have to do that just right. to make the same amount of money. Well, I'm actually taking a different approach, and and my approach is, look, Mister Seller, Mrs. Seller, you're you're making. Um, like, I don't know, 25% each, you know, the last three years on your money. You're making 25% on your money. So if I charge you what I used to charge, you know, back, back in the long time ago, like that's going to be all right. Right. And, and it, they, right. not one person is throwing a fit about it. So they make a little bit more. I make a little bit more. Actually, they make a lot more. I make still a little bit more. And and that's kind of the approach I'm taking. And then again, when when things sure. get tough and, and tighter and things people aren't going to make as much, then I can adjust my pricing accordingly. And I think, you know, a lot of people, I would say the majority of people are, are going the opposite way. They're they're reducing their costs. Um, hmm. and I'm, I'm going, I'm going a different, different taking a different route and and I've not found one person that's been upset with it. Right. Uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. Sure.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested in this right now. Obviously. So, yeah. This I, is great. I, <laughs> tables are turned. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I am, uh, my wife and I are in the process of, you know, buying some land and mm-hmm. thinking about building. Yeah and we've we've asked ourselves the same question that you've asked, like mm-hmm. what should we do? Should we should we sell our house and rent a place for a year and then um you know then move in at the end of the process mm-hmm. or should we try to you know have it both ways, if you will, Yep. and try to stay in our home, you know pay for the, you know save up paper paper the the loan up front and you know handle two house payments at once, and then you know at the end. At the end, you know, sell our house at the end. Okay. Now this e-buyer thing has me thinking. Because ideally what I would actually love to do is I would love to sell my house to somebody that would allow me to rent it back from them for a year. Okay. So I only have to move once. And, um, you know, so I can stay in my house, only have to move once, but I can get that, you know, get that sale right now, you know, put that down on the, on the new construction loan and kind of move forward. Yeah, is this something that like an e buyer could potentially help me with?
0: Oh, e buyers could, but but I'm going to share a story with you um, that just happened. Uh, so we're working um, on on a uh, a bill like like you and uh, one of the people who I have sold a house, sold a lot to in the neighborhood. They were moving from a few hours away, so I didn't work on on that side with them. But I, but I got the story. They listed the house. Um, they did an open house, again, something that we don't really typically do. And hmm. um, the person who sh- who walked through the open house last ended up sitting on the couch like, yeah, we weren't even going to come look at the house. We weren't really interested in buying right now. Certainly weren't really considering this home, um, but we'll buy it and we will rent it back to you for a year. Uh, I'm sorry, for six months until you build your home, even if it takes up to a year. And... Uh, we'll pay cash and we'll close in in two weeks. Um, you don't get any better than that, and that was like a real life person. So, <laughs> right. so once again, you know, you've got this thing where an e buyer didn't really take a place. This this actually happened in real life, so it is possible. And and I I mean every single home that I've listed in the last uh, four or five months has been uh, something where I, I get at least one phone call of. This is so and so from so and so company. I'm getting ready to write you an offer. What are you looking for? Okay, and and now my my response is, well, I want a ton of money. I want to be able to stay in the house as long as you know. I, I we need to after closing free of rent and uh, mm-hmm. you know waive your inspections and uh, give me a twenty thousand ga- dollar appraisal gap guarantee. Like you know, like some some crazy answer. But but they're asking us what we want. Like we have a list price. And they're not negotiating right. down. They're, they're saying, what can we do to get this house? And so, uh, I, again, it goes back to, I don't know that you're not going to get that if you don't have a good local broker that could list your home and say, hey, here's what they're looking for. And if you're right. not wanting to sell it right this second, or, or you don't have to sell it right this second, what's the harm in putting it out there at a price that you think is crazy? And then saying, hey, here's the terms. I want to be able to have a lease back. Gotcha, but I think to your to your question, um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to start building and we're going to keep our home. Um, reason being, I mean, you brought up these numbers uh, a few few episodes ago where. Uh, we're building you know 1.2 million homes a year Uh, nationwide is what we're supposed to do we're like 5.6 million which now i've read somewhere else is over 6 million now in the in the whole so even if the number of builders doubles we're still two years behind in what how the amount of homes we need to keep up with our demand right um and each year that's going to keep compounding right like it, it we're getting new buyers every year so so each year that that's going to add up um I feel like there's a good tailwind for for the pricing. I don't know that we're going to keep getting the, the 15, 20, 30% increase year over year, but even if it stays the right. same. Look at the amount of money that you're going to be throwing away in the in the rental, right? If you if you do it for 8 months, $2,000, you know, a month, you're looking at at 16 grand just just in the rent. Then you got your moving expenses. Sure. That's four to six thousand. Then you got to move again. That's another you know three to four thousand, depending on how much stuff you kept in storage and in boxes. And so there's you know you are gonna you are gonna get forty thousand dollars probably in right. moving twice. Do you think that your uh, your home is going to depreciate that much over that time? Um, you know, we you are one of the first that you know is kind of brought up to my knowledge of. Um, we're not being in a housing bubble. So if we're not in a bubble and you know, this isn't going to necessarily burst, um, then the trajectory shows that we're still going to be strong in six or eight months. So if you start that process now, you're probably going to be okay keeping your home building and then selling, you know, listing your home 60 days before you have to move out. Sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't want
1: to get too much in the weeds of, of my specific situation, which is not going to apply to everybody, right?
0: No, but I think um, it does. I, I truly do. I, I think you are, because I, I have the same thing, and I know two or three other people. So it, it's got to be like I think this is a standard. I, I just talked to our our health coach uh, yesterday. They did the same thing. They were gonna, they sold, and they were gonna buy, and they couldn't make their decision up. I, I think this is actually a very good conversation of what we're, you know, what what I'm seeing at least on on, on my end. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. No. So I think, I think everything you said is, is is really helpful. Right. And, and that's, that's the reason that I don't want to sell and move into someplace else that I'm renting and then move a second time. Right. That that is, that is the least desirable path forward for us. Right. To be honest, for a lot of people, that's going to be the only route forward. Right. For a lot of people, they're going to have to sell, so they can get the equity out of their house to put the down payment on the construction loan to start the build, Right. So, so so that's a, that's a path. A lot of people have to go. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things for, for, like for us, it's we can either start the build now if we sell our house Mm -hmm. or we can start a year from now because we, you know, we, we need to keep saving. Right. Right. And ultimately I think the best financial decision is to just start the build a year from now, right? You right. know, that, because of all the reasons you said. But it's, you know, there are other factors at play. You know, we, we are human. And so you get this idea in your mind, like, oh, we, we drew up this house that we mm-hmm. want to build. And you kind of want to get into it quickly. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, other things like, what are construction costs going to keep doing? And, you know, I, I've, I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that I believe that I'm going to get more for my house when I sell it than I ever imagined, you know, three years ago when I bought it. Right. And I'm also going to have to pay more for my house that I build than I wanted to just because of the, the market conditions and building costs and scarcity of supplies and such. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, I think that's, that's okay. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think w- what the, the fascinating idea for this to me is, um, you know, the potential of an e-buyer, um, the, the ease that it, that it could make, you know, especially if they're not going to you know, rip me off on my value, but actually give me a real value. And I, I think it's, I think it's really helpful that you also explained that the e-buyer does not replace a realtor because the, the realtor is going to be the one that's going to give you guidance on this and is going to help you understand, yeah, this is quite a good deal and you you should consider it and maybe even take it versus no, 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 no. this is, this is not a good deal. We could do this and we can do this and we can get way better offers. And I think that's, you know, these are, the, these are the practical questions that people are asking when, when, when they're trying to buy a house and they want to have, you know, different options. And I think it's really helpful, you know, you know, I feel so much more educated right now than I did even before the phone call, just because this is something that you've had experience with and you can explain it, right? And this is why we, we need to work with people that have all these different experiences. Because again, when someone works with you, you're going to have the nine iron in your, in your bag that other realtors may not have. So, you know, this is super helpful info.
0: Well, thanks, John. And uh, certainly want to encourage those people that uh, are looking at the e-buyer situation and, and do, you know, even if you had to, like I said, if you got an offer and uh, let's say you were listing your home for 200,000 and you got an offer from Zillow for 200,000, well, it still would be worth in my opinion even if you threw your friend a bone and said hey here's here's a couple thousand dollars can you can you make sure that what i'm doing is is good in my opinion you know you are not going to lose any sleep when you sell your home because you've got validity from an actual person on your side that said yes, that was a good value for your home as opposed to zestimates which are all over the board. You know, I've I've got good zestimates, so I've got bad zestimates. Um so certainly I I don't know that uh I would I would really trust just their uh artificial intelligence to tell me, you know, what my home is worth. There's it's really cool technology, right? There's Uh, Zillow or Realtor.com, I don't remember, they might have both have it now, but I think it's Realtor, that you can click and it says this is the kitchen. So it already knows uh, from the photos which rooms are kitchens and which rooms are bathrooms and which rooms are the outside. Like it, it can tell you that. But what it can't do is it can't tell you, well, the kitchen is right next to a bathroom. You know, or, or um, the master bedroom is you know on the third floor in the attic that the the seller you know put some you know spiral staircase that you're never going to get a mattress up. <laughs> right. so, so that's still that's still the problem with with an e buyer if it's only going to be artificial intelligence and a mm-hmm. online valuation. It, it's not going to be something that. You know, you walk in and there's no way in the world a real person would give you that much money. So I think that they probably hedge their bets. You know, they, like I said, it, there, there might be a, a five-point swing of, of what your your home is, is valued, maybe 10. But I think because it's such a hot market, they probably keep that, that number pretty tight at this point. Sure. Um, so uh, one, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, the other day I asked you about an I-10. And so I kind of wanted to, to get into that topic a little bit because it's something I'd never heard of. Um, explain what that is and how that goes with uh, you know, along with buying a home for some folks. Sure. So, um,
1: so, and I ten is is an individual tax identification number, um, and this this is something that people often have if they are not u s citizens, okay, but they are you know here on a work visa or they have a green card or you know something of that nature it's not uh-huh. for someone that is that is here illegally it's somebody here that it, it is something for somebody that is here legally but doesn't um you know is not a citizen okay um, and sometimes they may not even have a social security number right mm-hmm. um, so so there's a what they will get from the government is an individual tax identification number, because even though they're not citizens that, that don't have social security numbers, they are still paying taxes. Right. So, um, you know, your regular loans, your, your Fannie, your Freddie, your FHA, you know, your conventional and and government loans, it can be, uh, very, very, very difficult sometimes to, to, get somebody alone if they don't have a social security number, you know, if they just have an ITIN. Okay. Um, however, it, it is possible. You have to have a lot of paperwork and I've actually done them before for people that had, you know, they had every single paper that they had ever gotten from the federal government. Right. They mm-hmm. moved here 12 years ago and they, you know, they renewed their papers every three years and mm-hmm. they had them all, you know, it, it's possible. It's, it's not likely that you're going to be able to do that. Okay. Um, The good news is there are some loan programs that exist, you know, the non-QM variety where we can, you know, we can do loans for these people, even without a credit score, even without a social security number, even without some of the regular things that um, official U.S. citizens are going to have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we have these. um, They they are going to typically work a lot like your other non-QM loans right? You're going to need to put a more, a higher percentage of money down maybe than you wanted. So you're probably looking at 15 or 20% instead of three and a half or five. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. uh, You know, we're also going to have more strict debt to income ratio requirements. So for instance, on an FHA loan, we can technically approve you for an FHA loan if you have a debt to income ratio of 57%. Um, we're not gonna get anywhere close to that on an ITIN loan. You know, you're uh-huh. probably gonna be capped at forty five percent, maybe like forty seven if you if you know, if you're putting like fifty percent down or something crazy. Wow. Um, but your 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 debt to income ratio is also gonna be much lower. And occasionally we may even have to hit you for like some sort of expense factor on your income that we wouldn't have to hit somebody else. You know, for instance if 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 it looks like um, you're going to have to pay a higher percentage of taxes than, than maybe somebody else's. Sometimes that has to hit you for an expense factor yeah. on those. But just because you're not a citizen does not mean you are unable to get a house, right? You know, I, 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 right. I was a cool teacher for, for seven years. One of my fellow uh, co workers was from Canada. He was not a US citizen. He'd been in the country for 30 years. He had a green card. You know, he was here legally. Mm-hmm. He married an American. He just wasn't a citizen, right? So it was actually hard for him to to get certain things because you know of, of of how he was here. But we were he was still able to you know buy a house using an ITIN program. Um, and so so yeah, that's kind of an overview, sort of summary of of that.
0: Nice. Nice. I was going to ask what challenges does it come with? So I appreciate, uh, you know, giving that update now, would a seller know, uh, anything like that? Like would, would they have any idea of what's going on, uh, with that or, or not?
1: Yeah. Great question. So most lenders, when they, when they write a, when they, they give a buyer a pre-approval letter, they are going to tell what type of loan that pre-approval letter is, right? So you're pre-approved for a $300,000 conventional loan, or you're pre-approved for a $300,000 VA loan, right? We're going to put right. that very explicitly in the pre-approval letter. If it's an I-10 loan, um, we're not going to say, you're pre-approved for a $300,000 I-10 loan because you're not an American citizen, right? <laughs> we're right. not going to explicitly state that. We're just going to say it's a non-conforming loan. Right, it's a non-Q, it's a non-QM loan, right? So, if the buyer wants to ask additional information, um, or if the seller wants to ask additional information, he's allowed to. As a lender, I'm not going to be super specific unless you know my buyer says no. You can tell him exactly what's going on, right? Right. But you know, for the seller, you're going to see that and. You might think, oh, that's a bank statement loan because this is a self-employed borrower, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, it could be it could be any number of different types of non-conforming loans. So that's that's what the pre-approval letter would say. If the listing agent asked, if the seller asked, I would ask my buyer, um, you know, is it okay if I tell him? You know, if I explain, you know, what, what's what's going on here? Um, and I would usually encourage him to say, "Hey, look, this this might help us." You know, it, it's always best to be as transparent as possible. Usually, if you know. If the the seller asks, they're at least considering your loan, right? They're at least considering your offer. So that's where I would say, hey, yeah, look, here's what we got. We've got someone that's been in the country for 15 years. They are here legally. Um, They have almost no debt. They're putting 25% down on this home. Their, Their debt to income ratio is 30%. They are awesome buyers, but they aren't U.S. citizens, so they can't get a conventional loan. And that's what we got going on here. Um, and typically if I were to answer like that, um, yeah, you know, the, the listing agent, the seller doesn't have to take it, but that's usually going to allay at least some of their concerns, you know, cause they might be seeing a non QM and, and you know, we have non QM loans that we can do for somebody that had a bankruptcy last month. Oh, wow. right. <laughs> that's another type of non QM loan, you know? So, um, if, in this instance, I would, I would try to explain it like that, you know, get the buyer's permission. And say, hey, here's here's exactly what we got going on. This is a very strong buyer. You know, this is not like someone that had to do this because they didn't qualify for an FHA loan. This is, you know, this is the loan that's that's best for them. Is what I would say
0: that's good and we'll explore that maybe next uh, maybe next time we've got quite a bit of uh, things that I could go into on that but one thing I wanted to ask is what is the typical picture uh, financially that people have um, you know that you see you know with the, with the car loan student debt credit card debt like what what does that look like uh, from people making applications do you see that from from your perspective obviously as a broker we don't see that uh, information right.
1: so our are you asking for in general or about the
0: typical i ten buyer? Oh, good question. I just meant the typical buyer. Like, just, uh, you know, sure. when, when people are applying for a loan, what what does the average American uh, financial picture look like? That's a great question.
1: Um, so I would say that the average American position, or, you know, the average American buyer that I talk to is probably uh much less qualified than most people would think. Okay. I would say that, you know, most most people that I talk to, um, not all, but most the majority of people that I talk to, they probably have a credit score between six sixty and seven twenty, which mm-hmm. might strike some as, as a little bit lower than what you were thinking. Um Again, mortgage, you're that cross country you are going all the way down to five hundred. So, you know, sure. Then, your people that have been turned down to me. I'm just kidding. You know, I, I do go that low, <laughs> but you know, the average, you know, the average person, you know, six sixty to seven twenty probably. Uh, the average person is is really only putting five percent down. Okay. And sometimes they're they're getting a gift for that, right? Um okay. A lot of people that I talk to, like they, they have decent credit, they have good jobs, um, but you know, they haven't been able to save up money. And then I'm working man, I'm working with a lot of people who have debt to income ratios in the high forties and low fifties. I would say the majority of people I work with are going right up to about that max when it comes to their debt to income ratio. And it's, it's, it's funny, you know, you know, we have, we have these basic financial, um, uh, not laws, but like mm-hmm. these, these basic financial ideas right? that, you know, that we've heard growing up or maybe we've heard financial advisors give, you know, you never want to spend more than 25% of your income on your house. Mm-hmm. Versus, or maybe they'll say 33%, right? Okay. That, that might be your max. And that's like a, a standard piece of financial advice that you might get from a financial advisor. Sure, I mean, I'm telling you, most people that I work with are, up, are around 35, 38, 40, I've gone as high as like 48% on the, just the house, um, you know, just the house payment compared to their income. Yeah. And I'm never, you know, I I never advise people to go this high, but you know, everyone's going to ask the same question. Hey, John, tell me what my max approval amount is. Right. Right? And I say, okay, well that does, that's not what you should buy, Mm -hmm. but here's what we could buy if you wanted. And and amazingly, as soon as I tell somebody that they could qualify for a $350,000 house, they start sending me and their realtor a lot of $360,000 houses and right. ask if we can squeeze that in and make that work, right? right? So it's just kind of, that's sort of like the American philosophy, but that's kind of the average borrower that, that I speak to on a daily basis.
0: So, so quite bleak as far as savings okay. and, and quite a bit of student loan and quite a bit of credit card debt, you think?
1: <laughs> yeah, I would say um, definitely quite bleak. I, I think the, the biggest mistakes, the biggest mistakes that I see on a daily basis would be car payments that are too high, right? You know, I, I'll talk to to people making, you know, $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year, and they have $700 payments for their car, um, which is, which is wild to me. Um, Student loan debt is obviously a big one. You know, that's in the news almost every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, it's funny you ask. I set a record last week. I talked to somebody that had the highest, they set a new record for the highest amount of student loans they had. This person had $567,000 worth of student loans.
0: Wow. And And, what were they, what were they like? Were they a doctor or an attorney? Like some, like what profession? Yeah. So
1: he had a PhD in psychology and he was making about $75,000 a year. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it, a good job, obviously a very incredibly smart person. He's been yeah. in college for a long, long, long time, man. Wilder's but like man, you know, if, that's, uh, if you know, I, I did the math because he, he wasn't paying on it yet. Right. You know, right. he just got out of college and he didn't have to pay on it. Um, but you know, if, 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 if he opts into a, you know, if, if he opts into a payment that's going to be like, this will pay it off in 30 years, uh-huh. you know, you're talking about a payment of more than $3,000 a month and who's, you know, not even making six figures yet. Wow. So, I mean, that's just, that's a tough life to, to sort of live. Um, so, yeah, I think car payments are usually too high. Student loans, yeah, there's a lot of them out there. And credit card debt, every, what, I've, what I've noticed is, you know, I'll often, you know, I'll be talking to somebody, So tell me a little bit about your debt. You know, mm-hmm. do you have a car payment? They're like, yeah, I have, a, I have a car. And I'll say, okay, you have any student loans? Yeah, I have some student loans you have any credit card debt? Oh, not much. Right. They'll often say not much. <laughs> and then I'll pull it up and we got eight grand. Oh you know, wow. We got 12 grand, you know, it's like, well, they don't think it's much cause they're only paying 140 on a month. Right. But I'm like, wow. I mean, you have eight grand in credit card debt. I, I think that's a lot, you know, <laughs> um, lot. <laughs> but according to the average American, that's actually less than the average American. So yeah. maybe they are right that it is not much, but you know, that's kind of what I'm seeing. Awesome. And, and I, ironically, Every ICIN borrower I've ever worked with is in a much superior financial position compared to the average, you know, young person that I help with a conventional or FHA loan, right? Figure. They typically awesome. have almost no debt. They often have a lot of money saved. Um, you know, those loans are, ironically, they're sometimes easier, even though we have to get a little bit more documentation because they're just more strongly qualified.
0: That's awesome. Hey, John, it's time to wrap it up today. What, uh, what do you got positive thoughts for us, uh, at our end of our show today?
1: Cool. So, uh, my favorite author is, uh, a man named C.S. Lewis. He Mm -hmm. wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a whole slew of other awesome, um, Christian books. Mere
0: Christianity. Christianity. One of my favorites. Mere
1: Christianity is uh, a book I read every year just because it's something that I need to read and refresh myself on. Yes. um, he, he was—he uh, was defining what friendship was. I thought he had a really great definition of friendship. And friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, "What you two?" I thought that no one but myself. Dot dot dot. I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, it's it's cool how um, we have different friends that come into our life for different reasons. And you know, it's it's often because we bonded over something specifically that we actually couldn't share with somebody else. And so I have just been thinking about that a lot this week, as, you know, thinking about friendships and thinking about, you know, people that, you know, come into my life that have um, encouraged me in various and different ways. Uh, that C.S. Lewis uh, quote has come to my mind several times and wanted to share it with everyone.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, John. We'll see you next time. Thank you, sir.